Greetings, I'm Elizabeth Emery, producer and host of Hear Her Sports, the podcast about exceptional female athletes and women in sports. Today, my guest is Allison Tetrick, longtime professional road cyclist who just this year started racing gravel grinders, and she's proven herself to be the new queen of gravel, winning Dirty Kanza, Gravel Worlds, and Rebecca's Private Idaho. If you want to find links to any of these races that Allison talks about, go to the episode notes on hearhersports.com. Before we get going, I want to take a quick minute to say, if you like this podcast, please donate. You can do so by going to the hearhersports.com donate page. Allison Tetrick is a professional cyclist currently racing for the Silence Pro Cycling Team. She didn't start riding bikes until much later in life. We do talk about that and how she got started. We talk about growing up as a sporty kid in a family focused on sports for life and how that gave her the confidence to sign up for the 200-mile Dirty Kansas even though she had never ridden more than 125 miles. We also talk about the value of mentoring and how that relates to confidence and some nitty-gritty about riding on gravel. I particularly love how Allison articulates for me the value of sport and how riding a bike or running or whatever it is helps ward off our own crazy demons. Allison is also actively involved in improving the future of the sport for women and for everyone, serves on the board of directors of the USA Cycling and the board of advisors for the Women's Cycling Association. I'm going to let her give you a rundown of everything she's involved with. So a big welcome to Allison. I'm Allison Tetrick. I race professionally for Silence Pro Cycling. I've been a professional cyclist for eight years. I was born in Solvang, California, grew up in Redding, California, went to college in Texas, and I'm currently in Petaluma, California. I have raced all over the world. Also, while racing, I've gone to graduate school, have a background in biochemistry, and I currently work with uh, Amgen and with their disease awareness campaigns. Wow, that's a lot of great stuff. Um, I want to start out by asking how you're doing with the fires. Are you in Petaluma right now? Yes, I did evacuate um, a couple of days ago. It looks like it's getting better, um, but it's still pretty smoky, and it's complete devastation, and it's the saddest thing I've ever seen. So it's been it's been a pretty tough week here in Northern California. I bet it has. I don't think that any of us not there can appreciate if that's the right word, sort of what what actually is going on. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, it just kind of was a perfect storm, I think. And it's really unfortunate. And there's so many people who have lost so much. So um, I'm safe and I'm very fortunate for that, but it just is really, really heartbreaking. Yeah. Is this going to affect your training? Do you think, I mean, not to bring it back to that, but. Well, for the last week, uh, we haven't really been able to ride outside or anything. It's just the smoke level is so thick. Um, and the closest fire to me was about six miles away, uh, which has now been contained. So at least that threat has decreased, but, um, I think it will definitely, it's definitely going to be a life changer up here. And it's, I don't think it'll be the same for a very long time. Right, right. Um, so one of the things that I found interesting was that you have a long history of sporty life in your family. Your grandfather has won a lot of titles in cycling, and your father was sporty. How was that growing up? It was fantastic. I think something with my family is that sport sports kind of for life. So I grew up on a ranch, um, cattle ranch down in Santa Barbara County. And then we moved up to Shasta County and 
so we didn't necessarily play a ton of organized sports when we were younger because we lived pretty remotely, but we did a lot of activities on the ranch. I have an uh, older sister and she was, is my best friend and we would just go ride horses, go run around. You didn't consider it really sport. You just considered it more plain or just work on the ranch. But my dad played football in college for UCLA and he rides mountain bikes as a tremendous athlete. And my mom plays a lot of tennis and she's amazing. And then of course my dad's dad, my grandpa is 86 and still rides his bike every day and has 17 national masters titles and all this. And, and, um, so we just kind of always were very active. And then I started playing tennis in high school and then I played tennis in college and same thing. My sister played volleyball in high school and then she ended up running cross country in college. So it's just been kind of sports and activity and just overall like balance with being outside and, and outdoors and moving around has just been kind of a part of our life. So it's been, it's been great. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And, and how come you hadn't biked before? Cause you started cycling pretty late. Yeah, I started after college. You know, my, my grandfather used to always say, Oh, you should, you should ride bikes. You could go to the Olympics. You could do all these things. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I, I was playing tennis and pretty focused on that. I get, I get very focused on one, one goal and task at hand. And I was, I'm, huge science nerd. So I was really into my studies and playing tennis. And I just didn't, I didn't really connect with the bike yet. I mean, I, I didn't really grow up in an area, you know, I grew up on this ranch. So, you know, I was riding horses or, you know, running around, but I wasn't necessarily taking my bike down the block to see my friends. Cause it's just not how we live. So to me, it was just kind of foreign. And after college, I was still pretty competitive and I was working in a, in a lab uh, science lab for doing chemistry research and drug discovery in Massachusetts. And I was started running because I had graduated college. I was still kind of feeling competitive and wanted to do stuff. So I started running a lot. And Boston's a really great city for that. So I was running and running and running. And then that only lasts so long, you know, you start needing to cross train. So I was like, well, I'm going to sign up for a triathlon. <laughs> I, I bought a bike and signed up for a half Ironman. And, and I took the bike to Colorado and I surprised my grandpa. He was doing a local race and I, I drove I drove from Texas to Colorado with my new bike that I didn't really know how to ride and he's at his bike race and I ride up next to him and like hey Grampy look what I got <laughs> and he just <laughs> I, I came from like you know 2,000 miles away with my bike to surprise him that I had actually bought a bike and he was just he was so surprised and excited and did he say what took you so long <laughs> yeah he was like all right well, then he, and he realized, so then I stayed with them for a couple of weeks or whatever and visited, and he was doing another race, of course, you know, and a hill climb in Colorado, and he took me to this hill climb. Oh, Ali, you'll, you know, you'll do great. I didn't even know how to clip into the pedals. Like, I was just a disaster, but um, he he just had, a, he had so much fun with that, and and then it turns out the bike was pretty good. I, I did a couple races. I won a couple triathlons, um, but mainly due to the cycling effort. And I did a couple local races in the Bay Area and California and moved back to California. And um, I really excelled. And I got invited to a talent ID camp at USA Cycling at the Olympic Training Center. I got a pro contract in two months. And I was racing in Europe on the national team within two months of, like, starting to ride a bike. So I, I just kind of jumped full in. And it turns out I am pretty good at riding a bike. <laughs> so I, I guess it just kind of found me in a weird way. But it I like that it took a while. I mean, I think I, I did start riding late and 
you as a professional cyclist, you do benefit from riding for you know many years due to skills and just kind of natural tenacity on the bike. I have a lot of raw power, but just lack, you know, the years and years of, you know, the, the experience of that. But I think I've experienced other things and, you know, working and playing team sports and, you know, being able to be an NCAA athlete and, you know, do all this fun things um, and other sports like riding horses or swimming and all these other things I've done um, to find the bike now is great. Now, I'm not giving up that bike anytime soon, though. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely now a cyclist for life. But right, right. I have experienced a lot of other sports, which I think has been really beneficial and, and kind of to my overall mentality in, in the sport now. Sure. But how, you know, like I know a lot of women in the Peloton, you know, don't like to see really strong women that don't really know about cycling come into the Peloton. So how did you learn how to, you know, ride with a group and get those skills that you were talking about? I really benefited my first year as a professional. I was on team Tipco and this team was the best team in the nation at the time. And it had, you know, double, like double national champion, Brooke Miller it had, uh, Amber Rays at the time. Um, yeah. Amber Rays, um, who's still racing and she does incredible things with mentoring female athletes. Meredith Miller was on the team, Lauren Tamayo, Olympic silver medalist. Like this is team was so stacked with really experienced, but confident women. And they mentored me and taught me so much in my first two years racing. I look back just hoping I could do the same for somebody else or realize how fortunate I am because sometimes, you know, when a new cyclist comes in that is strong and is showing promise, you know, it's easy to feel threatened or, you know, you, you still want to <laughs> stamp your place in the sport. And these women were just selfless and taught me so much because, I think I was young and receptive and they were just very confident in their own right and their own experiences that I learned so much initially that, I mean, I'll, that forever changed my life. And, you know, of course now they're lifetime friends, but, um, I think it's kind of the power of, of those mentors and those teammates, whether it's a team director or, you know, just somebody on your group ride or your bike shop or on your professional team that takes that time to invest in you, give you a safe place without judgment and also push your limits a little bit. Cause we do get comfortable, you know, um, you know, in your own skin. And also like, I think sometimes, you know, if you are really strong, you know, you can be like, well, I'm strong. So I don't even know how to do that. Or I know everything. Cause I can beat you up this climb, but there's so much more to cycling than just raw power up a climb or in a time trial or whatever. I mean, you have to, there's, there's a ton of other things you need to know as a professional that, that can help your overall success. Hats off to them. I think that's great that they were willing to do that because you're right. It's not everyone is willing to do that. Not every team is as strong as what you were talking about. I mean, mentally and sort of in confidence. Yeah, I think it was because they were so confident and experienced. And I mean, my role on the team was just to be the development new rider in it. You know, no, I don't get it at that time. You don't, don't get to do every race you want to do because you have to make the roster and you have to do all these things. But when I did, they would not put pressure on me, but still put just enough pressure that I was constantly getting better. And and not let you have the cop out, oh, I'm new, I didn't know that. Well, now you know that, so you don't do that again. <laughs> you know, but it, was some, <laughs> right. it was some tough love for sure. But, I mean, it, it wasn't like hazing or anything. But, for, like, I definitely had to do a lot of things, like, you know, funny things. Like, in the race, they would be like, oh, you know, Allie, go do, you know, go do this. And I'd be like, okay, I'll go do that, you know. And then they'd be, hey, look what we can do, we can do now, <laughs> you know. And I would do everything. I'd go get bottles. I would go. Oh, I, I remember giving a bottle big. Well, I didn't ask for water. I asked for electrolyte. You know, go get an electrolyte. And I have to go back to the car and get electrolyte. And then they'd be like, this, this one's a little warm. Do you go get a colder one? You know, stuff like that. 
And I, I was just so eager and excited to be there. And, and now they go, I can't believe you did all that stuff. <laughs> and I go, well, I loved you guys. And I wanted to prove to you that I was willing to, you know, work and, and do my thing. So I think I did plenty of dishes too, you know. <laughs> I think that sounds like hazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but looking back, it was just this is perfect experience for where I was in my life and probably where they were in their careers too, you know, and the team was super successful. We won another national championship that year. I mean, it was just a crazy, a crazy year, um, couple years. And I think it's just the power of power of team and sport and people willing to, to give back to each other. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of winning, I'm really jealous of your world championship bronze medal in the TTT. That's just absolutely my favorite event in the whole world ever. <laughs> Oh, that's and awesome. It, yeah, it's so painful. <laughs> it's so painful. But you know, like when you have a good team, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, that was another one of those experiences. Um, I, I switched teams mid season and I went to Astana. And I kind of needed to probably take that jump sooner. But like I said, we do get comfortable in your own bubble and space. And I knew I needed to challenge myself. And you know, Mari Holden was so encouraging, another woman that gives back uh, to the sport. And she's a world champion, Olympic silver medalist herself. And she was like, okay, Allison, you know, it's time. Like you need to, you need to grow. And in order to grow, you need to get a new experience. So flew over to Italy with a one-way ticket and hopped on Astana and did some of the, you know, a huge block over there for the most of the season, honestly. And it was so challenging, you know, being on a team, where no one's speaking English. I had, I learned Italian. I was living with these wonderful group of women and we just went to battle each day with each other at some of these hardest, you know, European races on this beautiful team. And we never really trained for the team time trial, but we just kept doing all these races and I'm learning to learn tactics in Italian and how to coexist (laughs) in this wonderful team. And we, we went up to altitude training camp. We did all these things. We just rode together all the time. And we were on the, I just followed whatever program, you know, they had the training program he had us on. And, and we, we rolled up to team time trial worlds. And I was so ecstatic to be there. It was in Pomferrada, Spain. And I was so happy just to be at worlds and to be with these girls that were now still lifetime friends. And I'm like, smiling at the start line like take a picture I'm at Worlds this is great I'm in light pink or light like light blue I love my Astana kit like I'm so excited to be here and the girls we were just laughing going we've ridden in a team time trial like three times like we did some motor pacing together and we rode the course a couple times and we were all just going we're crazy what are we doing <laughs> like we don't know what we're doing and, in, and and then we get on the start line we're you know waving at the fans we start and we just go so fast and then you know, in the radio, he's like, Oh, you guys are the fastest. You are the fastest. And we are like, there's no way, you know? (laughs) And we, and we did, we, we had this incredible ride and it was almost like this, another one of those perfect experiences that you can't ever recreate. It was these, you know, six really strong riders that we really trusted each other. And we had definitely, um, worked so hard together for the year and to show up without necessarily a lot of, you know, all that like kind of sexy technical preparation with, you know, the best skin suits, the best aero helmets. It wasn't like that. It was more of just like a lot of heart. And so a lot of heart and like pain and suffering and believing in each other and trusting each other. And at the end, we were seriously all crying because we couldn't even believe we were like the little bad luck bears. (laughs) 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 That 
that got bronze. And I don't think there was a more proud team to ever get a bronze medal. Now I look at the podium every year and I'm like, I don't think there'll ever be a team like my little team that got that medal. <laughs> Cause it was like, we freaking won. Like we were so excited. We felt like we won. Yeah. And that was probably one of my most favorite memories in cycling. See, that's the beauty of the triple T. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we just kept going. I mean, well, there was some profanity in there cause you know, but we were just like, Holy, Holy. <laughs> and I had all my uh, teammates saying that and they uh, didn't really know what they were saying. Right. Again, <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, yeah. so what team are you riding on now? It's uh, pronounce it because it's sort of an interesting spelling. Yeah, it's Silence Pro Cycling. Okay. So I've been on Silence Pro Cycling for two years. Um, it's a fantastic team. It's American registered. We do all the the entire world tour calendar. So last two years, we haven't missed a world women's world tour race. Um, it's a really, really great, great sponsor. So silence is a malware company. So it's, you know, cybersecurity company, and they've been really invested into the women's cycling now as our title sponsor and going, and they will be sponsoring the team next year as well. So it's just been a, a great team. And Manella Converse, the director, he's Spanish and the team is pretty mixed. Like we, I think this year we had seven different countries on the team. So, a very diverse team. So I love that. And they've been really supportive of your interest to do gravel racing. Yes, it's been awesome. I, I wanted to make sure I could do some gravel racing this year. The year before I was watching it from afar, trying to see how I could do it and racing every single world tour race. I mean, there's just no way. And this year I, I wanted to lighten up the schedule a little bit to do some more adventure racing. And it's really good. I mean, Canada makes really good equipment for that. Um, so you, we could kind of capitalize on our very quality team partners and just to kind of show up at a couple key events, which, I mean, another one of my favorite cycling memories now is going to be winning the Dirty Kansas this year. <laughs> so I'm not taking that one back either. <laughs> right. What was the attraction of gravel racing? Um, I've done road racing now for eight years at a very high level. And um, I, like I said earlier, I mean, I jumped full in and just kind of been going full gas at this level, you know, give or take a lot of, you know, injuries and setbacks along the way. Um, I was looking for something to do that was um, a little a little more adventurous and outside of my comfort level. I, I don't mountain bike or do cyclocross really at all. Probably ridden a mountain bike under five times in my life. I'm very, very roady. I think it's the science-based side of me and my personality, I kind of like the monotony and the training and the predictability and all these things. So for me, that's, I love riding my road bike, but I was looking at these places that the gravel bike could take you, which it's a similar geometry. You kind of feel like you're on your road bike, but you can cover more rugged terrain. And then the other thing I love about riding is the views and these, you know, the community out there and the getting on dirt roads, you can go out to some you know gorgeous places and it brings together, I think even almost a larger uh cycling community so and it's just really fun like I really like the all-inclusive I like I like the mass starts I like you know there's there's more women out there and women get really good when the distance starts getting longer too like everyone can do this and it's so fun and you kind of just all you can race and challenge yourself and you can do as good as you can do that day but then if you have a bad day it doesn't really matter because you still finish this like gnarly route and you're still tired at the end and you can still have a beer or whatever with your friends and 
barbecue and hang out rather than as much pressure on who's winning or who's losing. It's more about this experience. And I just think that's so cool. And I'd never ridden my bike that long before. So I wanted to try it out. (laughs) I was just going to ask, I mean, you certainly jumped in whole hog. I mean, you hadn't ridden your bike that long. And then you did the Dirty Kanza in June and then the Gravel Worlds in August. And then just now the Grapes of Wrath in October. Yeah, I, I did Dirty Kansas. The longest I'd ever ridden my bike was 125 miles. And that was like three years, <laughs> three years ago. And I was like, oh, for sure, I'll be fine. Um, and, you know, people were asking me, you know, how did you train? I was like, uh, I don't know. I did tour of a California and Pan American championships. <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't done much. So, uh, you know, in that long, not long space. But, you know, I've, I've raced my bike a lot and I've, I ride my bike. So I was like, I think I'll be fine. And, you know, it, it definitely I was I was pretty comfortable until about that 150 mile mark. And then I just hit, you know, after about six, seven hours on the bike, eight hours, that's, I think at the dirty Kanza where it gets just real, like it's just a whole new space of, of where you're at and what's going on. But, and then I did, I went to gravel worlds and I, I won gravel worlds and it was so fun, different terrain, you know, then you learn too, like gravel racing, like the type of rock is all different, the type of gravel, the type of field, you know, the tactics, I mean, everything is different. And then I had to go to Rebecca's private Idaho because Rebecca is who encouraged me to get into gravel racing. And we share the same coach, Rebecca Rush. And so I went to her event and did the stage race. So I did a gravel stage race, which was more taxing than I had imagined because I do world tour stage racing. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I know how to stage race. Um, But I think just three multiple, you know, three day consecutive days on the gravel. I was like, I am tired. (laughs) This is hard work. Yeah, so then I popped into this Grapes of Wrath event over the weekend. It was 100 and, well, they said it was 134. I'm going to tell you it was 140 miles. And I probably should have read the race Bible, but I had had an event up in Napa that unfortunately due to the fires was canceled. So it was a last minute thing. And I saw this event down in Central Valley. Uh, I got to try that out. And I didn't really read it that well. <laughs> like what, what I was going to get myself into. And we started there like, okay, so at about mile 60, you take a left turn and then we're going to start the climb. I was like, oh good. I like climbing. And they're like, yeah, it's 34 miles long. I saw I that. Like, oh my God. The climb is 34 miles long. They go, yeah, you, you climb 12,000 feet in 34 miles. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> who signed up for this? <laughs> like, when was somebody going to tell me? And they're like, you could have read it. I was like, yeah. Oh, well. So. Well, um, since you're new to gravel riding, what are your first impressions? I, like I said, I really, really love it. And I mean, I started with, you know, let's say arguably like the ultimate gravel event in, in the world at the moment, which is the Dirty Kanza. And I jumped in there and I, I utilized a lot of my resources to, to try to plan for it, you know, as far as texting, you know, Ted King, Tim Johnson, you're, you know, people who had won it, Rebecca, you know, I'm like, how do I, what do I do? But as soon as I got into the town of Emporia, Kansas, it was just this crazy, welcoming, amazing, like tribe of people that you just love immediately because it is very inclusive and supportive. And so my first impression was, oh my goodness, I never want to leave. I, <laughs> I think this is a really cool side of the sport. And yes, racing these, you know, famous races all over the world is awesome and challenging, but this is just suddenly you're, you're connecting with all these people that are going to do the same event as you. And yeah, you might be racing to win it and other people are just trying to finish it. But I think bringing all these people together is just super cool. And 
really encouraging and I think it's good for the sport. Is it is uh, for people who haven't ridden the gravel races, you know, like what's the difference? Like what would be the most different thing from road riding or even mountain bike riding? Um I think that a little bit of a, of a difference is a lot of these gravel races, which is probably similar to mountain bike, but not a little different, is they're a little more like adventure-style racing. So a lot of them are, are self-supported. Uh, you know, if you're you, like Dirty Cans and Gravel Worlds, it's parts of Rebecca's was, you know, you have to navigate yourself. So you download the file into your GPS, you navigate yourself, you're bringing all your equipment that you need, you know, versus relying on support or, you know, team cars or pits per se. So I think there is a, a great deal of kind of self-responsibility that way. Hmm. But I think you, you feel more accomplished in a way, but you have to be way more prepared. You know, you got to look at the course or understand these things. So that there's that. I do think the mass start, you know, men and women all starting together is, you know, pretty fun. It's, it kind of has that kind of grand fondo feel in a way versus, you know, other types of events. And, you know, from like road racing, you know, if you get dropped, it's, you know, you're out by yourself and, Everyone can see you lap after lap at a criterium <laughs> or something if you're dropped. We've all been there. At least I definitely have. And and that's, like, kind of mortifying, whereas in, like, a long gravel event, like, everyone's going to end up riding by themselves at one point, and that's okay. Like, it's you don't have to be in a big pack going, you know, due to the terrain and the high rolling resistance and, you know, all sorts of mechanical issues that can happen. You end up being by yourself for a while, and that's okay, too, and you get to kind of meet a new version of yourself and it's usually a pretty crazy side of yourself. And then the people you do see out there are, are like you. And, and then you can meet new people that way. The dirty cans and gravel worlds are on like more rolling terrain. So they're just like constantly like power climbs. So you're not doing like anything super high speed and like crazy technical, but you're just constantly moving and rolling. And then other ones like in Rebecca's, you do big climbs and big descents. So, right. you know, I think it just depends on, on the event and, and kind of how they're targeting it. Cause there aren't really any rules to these events. So as a promoter, you can kind of just make it up on your own. <laughs> so whether you have pit stops or how you want to make the rules or, you know, whether you have to take a shot at a rest stop or, or get a pipe cleaner or however we, you prove that you were there. Right. <laughs> like, I think it's really um, interesting what you were talking about. You know, you have to be prepared that you can't rely on sort of your support team to, you know, know the course for you or, you know, have your equipment ready and, and stuff. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a fun side. So then that opens a whole other part of the of the industry where now you're looking for, you know, what bags are the best. And, you know, so now companies are creating, you know, I know Camelback just came out with this, like, really cool new, you know, hydration pack made more for, like, the gravel racing. It's really comfortable, you know, a little lighter weight because you don't need to be packing, like, overnight stuff in there. But you're packing just enough to feel comfortable in the road position, you know. So there's there's now there's market for kind of this new adventure style racing for for equipment too which is super cool like gravel bikes are now a thing which are technically different than a cross bike you don't have to be but they can be you know so there's kind of like no rules on that but that makes it really fun yeah yeah you also mentioned that the gravel races are mixed uh so the men and women start together i sort of expected to see more women racing and i just looked at the numbers for um the worlds and it was 27 women compared to 245 men and in dirty Kansas there were 123 mm-hmm. women compared to 698 men yeah it, it's so that's it sort of surprised me and even in the younger categories there was a you know like under 29 there was a big difference as well yeah I think that's the where our sport is um but I'm hoping 
I'm ho- I think actually that gravel racing and some of these kind of more act, you know, event activation and uh, things will, are going to, um, appeal to more women. Um, and I think it's growing, uh, but it is the it is the, the nature of the sport, and so you know, constantly thinking about ways to get more women involved. And I know the Dirty Kanza did this really great push: two hundred women, two hundred miles. And I do think they ended up getting two hundred women to sign up for the Dirty Kanza two hundred. They they did do that initiative, but it still is is not you know obviously fifty percent women or anything like that. But it's just how do we create a safe place and the right environment to appeal to these women because they're out riding their bikes but sometimes it's hard to commit to these events i think there's you know a lot of obligations and a lot of balance going on so i think it's a good outlet to get more women involved and i'm happy to to keep pushing for that and exploring ways to to be able to communicate that yeah it's such an appealing race style i think it really is and it's like i said it's Really, I mean, it's say. I mean, it's not like you're doing these like a like I said, you're not doing these like crazy turns in a big pack and dive bombing corners and sprint finish. Like, well, I did sprint finish, but <laughs> um, you know what I mean. It's 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 a little different um, mentality, and so I think they're and especially how you you choose to do it, a little less stress um, that way. And so I think it's just kind of communicating that, and and then also like industry, you know, athletes like myself, like what you're doing, you know, just kind of explaining the side of the sport and how to get more women like out there. Because I honestly wouldn't have thought I could ever do something like that if it wasn't for a really strong woman, Rebecca Rush, telling me, hey, come out and do this race. It's You're going to love it. Like each year, come do, you know, her event. You know, she's even putting on an event and how she gets more women out there and and in participating in her sport. It's, it's just like that. It's like people being encouraging and trying to like at least be able to explain what, what our sport is and why you would love it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, certainly there are plenty of women doing marathons, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's similar in a way. It is similar. I mean, the cycling is, you know, it is equipment intensive. Yeah. I, you know, that's, it's, believe me, sometimes when I travel for work, I'm going, I wish I, I like, I mean, I love to run, but I want to ride my bike, let's be honest. And so I go, gosh, I, I, I it's hard, you know, if I'm going to go to work for two or three days, like, okay, you know, how long am I going to be at work to then, you know, make sense if I'm going to travel the bike or right. not, or, you know, can I squeeze in that bike ride, but then I got to build it or, you know, it's all these things. And so it is hard when you're traveling and doing, or, you know, with your family life too. I mean, it's, it's relatively a time consuming and an equipment intensive sport, but I mean, you think once you get kind of that starter set up, then I mean, you're golden and it's just so fun. <laughs> Other than what you've already said, is there, is there anything that you would say to women who are thinking about it or hadn't heard about gravel racing to encourage them? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think you just have to start somewhere and, you know, pick a small goal and, and look at it in an events calendar. And maybe, you know, I would highly suggest some of these, these ones like Rebecca's private Idaho, or, you know, some of these fun and like a lot of these uh, communities have grassroots, you know, gravel racing all over the country. You know, now that I'm in, in this sport more, I'm getting all these messages. Oh, check out this event, check out that event. Like even this grapes of wrath one I did, there were more women, there was a 50 mile option. It was great. You know, so maybe you start with a small goal, see if you like it and, and go with a, like a friend or something too, because I think I like doing this with people I like to ride bikes with. So if you take your training partner with you and you guys make a girls weekend out of it, or is it a family weekend or whatever, and you can go out and just enjoy this together and kind of make it an adventure. I think that's really fun. So it doesn't have to be intimidating and you don't have to necessarily do it by yourself. I like to go with people. So I, I, I know someone's looking out for me too. <laughs> right. um, 
But also, like, I think sometimes these, I mean, I couldn't even tell, but, like, if you go on the calendar of your local community and to see what's there, because sometimes these events are even, you know, less intimidating because they're under 100 people are even there. So you're not in this mass of 2,000 people doing this, you know, sold-out event. You're doing kind of just a local, more low-key gravel event, and then you're going to know more people. You're closer to home. It's easier to travel to and just to go out and try it, like, and just to see what you think. Yeah, and they're not all 200 miles, as, as you said. No. There are plenty that are shorter. No, yeah, there's, um, like, down in uh, Southern California, I'm going to try out one of the a former professional male cyclists. He does a, a events called the Expandic Stampedes, and they're 50 miles, pretty chill, and they start and finish at a winery. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going nice. to go check out that event. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like that's my, my – my, I would say cup of tea, but I'll say I guess that's my my glass of wine. Right, right. <laughs> that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yep. Hey, so so we talked a little bit about women, and uh, you were one of the founding memory members of Women's Cycling Association. Are you still involved? I'm on the board of advisories currently, um, but I'm not hands on every day with that. But I do know that Robin does a fantastic job, and she's a good friend of mine. Um, and she, I helped initially begin it, and I have since just been kind of consulting or if they have, you know, any, any questions and helping out from there. I also serve on the board of directors for USA cycling. So that's taken oh, some, okay. some time as well. What's the current status do you think of uh, women bike riding and women racing? I mean, I think internationally, you know, just that's cause that's my like wheelhouse at this moment. Um, internationally, I think with the women's world tour, it's growing. Um, you know, there's a little bit more pressure to, for equality and things like that on um, an increase in race race days, you know, with the Liege, BF Stone Liege, you know, et cetera. Like this year was awesome. Um, you know, more teams, but you know, every time more teams come in, more teams leave. So I, I mean, as, as far as professional cycling in general, there has been huge strides since I started, but then also part of it makes me think it's still the same. <laughs> I mean, there, there, because, you know, with, with one good thing always comes something maybe that's a little step back. But I think that the UCI and, you know, has really taken some big steps forward with these race days um, and kind of increasing the level and uh, showcasing women cycling better. And that's what the sport needs ultimately to succeed or to find more of a uh, higher standard is it's hard to sell sponsorship and and. and uh, TV and all that, st- all those things to a sport that isn't showcased, you know, so we need to, we need a little bit more um, publicity there. But I think the level is in so much higher. Like, I mean, the level, our depth is getting, you know, much higher. You know, there's so many good riders out there. They're super passionate about the sport. And I would just like to see us be able to tell their stories more, right. um, you know, to a larger platform, because I think more people know about the sport than, then we get more support as a sport in all. Um, and then, I mean, in the U.S., there is an entire team, you know, USA Cycling and, you know, these local um, associations that are all really trying to push, you know, how do we increase uh, women cycling, you know, whether, whether it's visibility or just make sure that they're coming to the races. How do you do the categories where it's friendly for them to come and the best option so there's pros and cons to all of that, but there's a special committee for, you know, the women's committee to, to look at this agenda and look at what people are doing successfully in some areas of the country and then how to recreate that in other areas to keep keep that momentum going. So it's definitely, I think, on the forefront of a lot of people's mind. It's just, you know, if we all had the answer, it'd be easier. Sure, it'd be done already. 
I mean, I, I'd like the whole sport in general to keep finding, you know, positive strides, whether it's rider safety, you know, race schedules, all of this. Also, of course, for women's cycling, I think that that's going to be important to keep that momentum going. You know, it's it's frustrating, you know, when you think, okay, oh, great, we've had this La Course, you know, now we've had on the Champs-Élysées several years, now we're doing the climb, but, you know, hopefully we can get multiple days, you know, it's still right. a one-day event. So stuff like that, you're, you're looking forward to, to hopefully keep advancing that um, as it goes on. Yeah. So what's, what's next for you? What are your goals for the next few years or next, I don't know, five years? <laughs> yes, my five-year plan. Um, <laughs> I don't have a five-year plan, by the way. <laughs> okay. I was like, I feel, I feel um, a little nervous here. Um, so I, I, um, something I've always strived to do in my sport and for me personally is to make sure I have the appropriate like life work balance and my work can be either be, you know, communications work I do or as a professional athlete. And then also just for me personally. So, um, it was hard initially cause I, I, I was so entrenched into cycling when I first started and definitely had a lot of stars in my eyes because I just found this beautiful sport that I love um, I was good at it. So there was a lot of positive reinforcement and I got very into that sport. And then I had some really bad injuries and had to make me realize how important like life balance is too. And that you can't have one thing define you and you need to make sure you take time to do other things and invest in yourself. So I think I'd like to continue doing that. I, I think I've been much more successful at that the last couple of years so whether it's, you know, having work, I've always worked throughout my entire career just to make sure there's always something because you could crash on your bike. You could never be able to ride a bike again. You know, a lot of things can happen and I didn't want to not have a backup plan. And so I wanted to make sure I had something that I wanted to do and was interested in. So I would like to continue doing that part of my job, but then also as an athlete, finding more ways to be, uh, I think just, uh, using my, 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 I don't know my my brand or however you want to call it to increase increase the impact and whether that's getting more women out there doing some of these fun events, um, inspiring men as well to keep challenging themselves, riding bikes and you know giving back to their communities. I think the bike is a very powerful vessel to do a lot of good things, and you know we can use it for charity events and raising awareness for all sorts of things. And so, how do we continue using bikes as this kind of Really way, fun way to challenge yourself, find out a whole new level of crazy of yourself, but also bolster our communities and do powerful things. So I want to keep challenging myself on the bike and pushing my limits. So I'll keep targeting specific races I'd like to do. But also while I'm doing that, I would like to hold myself to a higher standard to bring more visibility to our sport in a positive way. So I'm really looking forward to, to doing that. Like I feel like I've done this sport for long enough at a very high level, I guess the highest level in the world. <laughs> and, and I'd like to make sure also I can give back to all these grassroots and, you know, all these other awesome things we're doing out there. That's fantastic. So, uh, you know, I often have trouble articulating why I think that sport is so important. You know, like I've said, sports is not just sports, you know, it's sort of reflective of everything else. I mean, it sounds like you feel the same way that sport is not just sports and it's important for a lot of other reasons yeah I think it's it's just like transcends way past just being sport like yes you can win or lose you know etc but that's why I think I like some of these gravel events because it is less about the ultimate result although I 
wear that belt buckle all the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All the time. (laughs) It's about like when you go out, it's really not about even the result. It's about, it is about the process. I know it's always easier to say that. And in in the moment you're stressed and you want all this stuff, but like you learn so much about yourself when you're training for something, when it's dark in the morning, you're trying to get a ride in before work or you're getting a ride in after work, or you're suffering at the climb, trying to get dropped by your friends or you're, you know, all these times that you kind of suffer and find these like dark moments in your head and you can solve world problems on the bike. It's a really great outlet. I mean, I need to go ride my bike to kind of get rid of some of my crazy. I'm, you know, I've got a lot of energy. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little crazy in my head sometimes. So I need to make sure that I I can go out on my bike to for my own therapy and, and soundness of mind. But also I think sport can parallel something so much more powerful because somehow it unites us together. <laughs> like when you go and ride with people or complete an event or train with somebody, you've gone through this whole experience together and you feel more connected to your community because you saw the beautiful views to the people you're riding with and to the, the whole kind of introspective time you had in yourself. So I, I, as a woman, I think it really empowered me as well. And my family, you know, being so active, I never considered any sort of gender, you know, equality or anything like that, because I was just raised to be a strong, powerful woman, like just a person, like a strong, powerful human being. And I could do anything that I wanted to. And that's what my parents told me I could do. And I believed them, you know, and it took me probably until after I graduated college where I realized, huh, I wonder if that was true or if I was just told (laughs) that. (laughs) But realizing that that's what, that's kind of what my family and what sport instilled into me. Like I want to go and do dirty Kansas. Yeah, I can do that. Sure. You know, I didn't even doubt myself ever. I just thought, yeah, I, I can do it. And I think I can win. And to have that level of confidence, and I think that sport gave that to me. And no, and even if I didn't win, I'd probably be like, well, hey, I gave it a good try. And I learned this about myself and this about the event. And and I got to meet all these really cool people, you know. So there's, there's positives always because, you know, sport, and especially in, in cycling, because it's an individual sport. You know, you can say it's a team sport as you watch the Tour de France and, you know, the racing I do on my team. Yes, it's a team sport. But ultimately, it's individual because you have to pedal your bike. You have to be mentally strong. You have to take that corner this way and you have to you ultimately have to get across the finish line and do your job to get there. So you learn so much about yourself that way. And so really, yes, there's a race against you and 2000 other people, but there's also a race just against yourself. And then you always win because there's a winner and a loser. And if you're racing against yourself, like somebody's going to win. So ultimately you do learn something. And I think though, that makes you more powerful at, at work and in other things you do in your family life, because you know what you can conquer in your own head and what your body can do. And, and then you really can do anything you want. Like you can just, dream it up and train for it and get ready for it and do it. <laughs> it's part of that process. That's a great message. I love it. Thanks. <laughs> it, it sounds like we're going to see you doing some more gravel races next year. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like so sold. Like, I, I don't even know. It's pathetic. It's like all I want to do now. So. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to change your training at all? Um, I don't think so. I, I just had a talk with my coach. I, I hadn't really thought about it because this year we didn't really do anything specific uh, training. We just, we just raced. Um, so, I mean, I think normally this time of year, maybe I would have been taking an off season or something, but the weather's so nice. And, you know, there was 
just 140 mile option. Like I'm going to probably try to just embrace more of these events and go to more of them and to check it out as well. And just cause I enjoy it. And when I have fun, I go harder because you're not, not thinking about the pain. Yeah. You're not thinking about the pain as much because you're around a bunch of cool people and you know, great venues. So probably just do maybe even a little more events and a little less focused training. But I think with that is going to come some, some reward as well. Cause if you have fun, like I said, you, a little bit of fun without the pressure. Sometimes you can really dig out some, some crazy, <laughs> crazy <laughs> efforts. <laughs> yep. So what, just some wrap up questions. What's your favorite uh, recipe? Favorite recipe uh, for what? <laughs> for whatever you like, or you can, uh, what's your favorite post ride meal? What's your favorite food? Like, <laughs> oh, I love, I love all foods. So I, I mean, I, I have a really great recipe from my mom, which I think is from my grandma. Uh, we, we make some good homemade buttermilk pancakes. And since I was born in solving, pancakes are like Danish pancakes, so they're thin. Oh, so I love they, those. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they fold them over. So that's how we make pancakes growing up. So I never understood those real thick. Now I like them, but I didn't never had the real thick, you know, typical you know, American pancake, I'd always had these like Danish pancakes. So I have a very good recipe for some Danish pancakes and you, you cook them on the griddle and they're just like super thin, put a little powdered sugar on them, butter, syrup, egg. I like, I love it. So good. Um, (laughs) And yeah, so I have a very good recipe for that. And then my favorite food, I like all food, but growing up in the central coast area, we have this favorite way we barbecue uh, a cut of meat called tri-tip. And it's kind of like a tenderloin steak and you cook it over an oak fire. And so it's like called Santa Maria style tri-tip. And I like it like medium rare, almost a little on the rare side. I'm total, total cowgirl. <laughs> yeah, no vegetarian <laughs> for you. <laughs> no, 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 no vegetarian and no gluten free. But it's just cooked really, really well. And I grew up with my dad, you know, barbecuing on Sundays. And there's just a certain way you do it there. And it's just awesome. So actually at this event, since it was down in the Central Valley, they had tri-tip after it. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm at home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they nice. had like tri-tip and tri-tip and whiskey, you know, so it wasn't a bad day. <laughs> I do like all foods though. So, I mean, I, I won't, I won't turn down on most things. <laughs> yeah, me either. Well, I really appreciate it. We're going to wrap things up, but is there anything that you would like to talk about that we didn't get to? Uh, no, I think we covered quite a bit and it's been really fun talking to you. So I appreciate you taking the time to, to hear a little bit more about the gravel gravel adventures (laughs) oh absolutely my pleasure it's been really exciting thanks for joining us thank you good luck bye-bye thanks for listening i know it's totally a pain but please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening it really does help the podcast to reach more people and to get the word out about female athletes and women in sports just a reminder ali's bar is still available for listeners at 50 percent off with free shipping using the promo code her sports. That means a box of 12 are only $14. And they taste great and aren't loaded with sugar. There's been a lot of chat about meal planning. I'm totally terrible at that and often find myself happily saved by an Allie's bar. Also, check out the new layout of the Hear Her Sports website at hearhersports.com. It has a beautiful landing page featuring a design by Agnes Studio. It's easier to find the podcast you want and to listen directly from the site. Sign up for our newsletter and follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hear Her Sports. See you in two weeks. Oh, trying to have some coffee, so I'm ready for this.
Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!